0: This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Here's something to think about.
1: Fighting back against the horror of opioid addiction with horror. I'm talking about horror movies, and we're going to talk about how that works today. Also, gumption, grit, entrepreneurial thinking, whatever you call it, We need more of it. That conversation happens here in about 15 minutes. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for being a part of American Viewpoints today. You know, with the impeachment drama playing out at our nation's capital, the understanding of what's actually happening, who's winning or losing and what it all means. Well, that's often shaped by which media outlet you choose to watch or which website or which social media platform you tend to watch. I think we're seeing information and opinion designed to tell us what to think more than we're seeing facts that help us decide what we think about it all. Dr. Amber Heinsley is a communications professor at St. Louis University, and I caught up with her recently to talk about fake news and real news and the battle of ideas in media and online. And we start with a quote from President Trump, and what he was doing at the time was responding to a news story of a mass shooting, and he was blaming it in part on a media platform. We must recognize that the internet has provided a dangerous avenue to radicalize, disturbed minds, and perform demented acts. We must shine light on the dark recesses of the Internet and stop mass murders before they start. We have seen these news stories kind of go off the headlines and mentions of them have basically unfortunately become talking points in policy and political debates at this point point. Uh, and we tend to look for something or someone to blame. When you heard the president say the internet is partially at fault, what did you think?
0: I think that's an easy scapegoat. Um, it's these thoughts and ideologies have existed long before social media and the internet. We had these types of conversations and these types of acts happening in real life, offline, for hundreds of years. And so we're today in a a delicate balancing act where we don't want to infringe on people's First Amendment rights. um, But we also have to think about the larger responsibility we have to protect ourselves and our families um, from acts like these.
1: And when it comes to that responsibility, that's an interesting way to put that is uh, there are some people who put the responsibility on the platform, some on the responsibility of, of those who are expressing their opinions, whether they are hateful, whether they are actual policy based, whether they are whatever, fill in the blank um and then others who say no the responsibility is solely on the people who commit these crimes when we talk about the the platforms like uh, there was a mention of a social media site that i had never heard of which has since been shut down where apparently it was pretty ugly and pretty hateful uh, people were blaming the site but that's more of an aggregator so when it comes to us communicating with each other and uh, i guess digesting information what do we need to start doing because i think it's time for us as news and media consumers to start asking ourselves some questions, challenging ourselves, how do we do this in a way that's actually effective and productive?
0: Right. And so, so much of this, as you alluded to, is we're talking about personal responsibility, recognizing that these sites, like what you mentioned, Mm -hmm. they're curators. Those sites, if they go away, people who are on those sites are going to find something else. You know, an online gathering place is a very easy place for those conversations to start happening. But this was happening again for decades offline before. And so, as you said, they're aggregators. And so recognizing that we as news consumers, what can we do to be more thoughtful about how we're using things and what we're saying?
1: And one of the things I think we can critique our industry, the media industry, is that we bombard people with information and messages. There is such a demand for information right now. Mm -hmm. And some of that is on the media's uh, purview, uh, trying to push that out to compete. Others, otherwise, a lot of us are just kind of conditioned to want all the information right now, even if that's not healthy, and sometimes it's not even safe given the situation.
0: Right, and that 's part of if you think about like, having a police scanner, yeah Twitter, in a lot of ways, especially in crisis situations, has become that sort of police scanner where you 're getting information in real time, and so being more thoughtful as news consumers about the information that you 're seeing coming across your Twitter feed or what you 're hearing you know people telling you, "I heard this, I heard that kind of thing, even those real life situations, and being better decision makers about analyzing that information that we 're seeing, and so being thoughtful, smarter about The information that we're getting.
1: So let's talk about how to be a smarter news consumer, information consumer. Right. Uh, Because it's not just news, there's a lot of opinion. Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think we have uh, the same level of journalism, actual journalism by definition. I think it's a lot of activism and opinion. I think Mm -hmm. we've got competing perspectives. So, how do we sort through that and actually figure out? not even necessarily just a balanced perspective in media, but one that allows us to be objective.
0: Right, so what we're talking about is information literacy right now. And so one of the things I like to talk about with my students, and this is kind of good advice for everyone, is what's called the CRAAP test. It's C-R-A-A-P. And so the C stands for currency. And so this first look at information is, is this relevant, is this timely? How often do we see something come up in our social media feeds and think, oh my gosh, this is terrible and you click on it and it's from 2015, right? It's something that's old news. So that's the currency part of it. The R is relevance. And so is this relevant to the information I'm seeking? Because a lot of times we find extraneous information. The first A is for authority. Who, who is this coming from? What's their affiliation? Who are the sources that they're using? Are these unbiased sources? Are these sources that I can trust?
1: If there is such a thing. Right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You know, and so doing some of your own research, if you're not familiar with an organization that's cited in something mm-hmm. you're reading, do some what's called like lateral digging and find out who they are. Go off of that group's website to see what are other people saying about this group. The second A is for accuracy. Literally, is this unbiased? Is it verifiable? Is it factual? And then the last one is P, purpose. What was the purpose of whoever produced this piece? Was it satire? Was it to entertain? Was it to inform? Was it to try to influence your opinion? Those are five very easy steps we can take very quickly, if you condition yourself to it, to starting down the path of being better Uh, with our information literacy. Uh, Sounds
1: like work to a lot of people, and uh, I'm going to critique all of us, (laughs) meaning you and me and the people who are Uh, taken in this program around the state right now and that is I think we tend to say I like what this media organization has to say if it comes from this other one though uh, it's gotta be uh, just garbage and I'm not gonna listen to it so we're out there kinda looking for confirmation bias and it's it's uh, my group versus your group and we're boiling down to just tribalism at this
0: point. Absolutely and what's the 10 second sound bite that I can throw out that people will understand and they'll gravitate toward and they don't have to actually think about or analyze And that's part of the problem, and we have to recognize within ourselves, too, we are programmed for what we're talking about with confirmation bias. We look for information that supports or reinforces what we already believe. And so recognizing that and taking that step back is really important for us to look at something and say, is this actually factual? Are they taking the facts and massaging them in a way to Leave like selectively presenting facts and massaging them in a way that presents only one side.
1: And that's though can push us out of our comfort zones. I mean we, we like hearing what we already want to hear. Mm-hmm. And why is it important for us to allow ourselves or to push ourselves out of that confirmation bias comfort zone. And we're talking to conservatives here, we're talking to liberals mm-hmm. here, we're talking to you know, Libertarians here, we're talking to whoever here. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it important for all of us to do this to take in other perspectives and viewpoints and other news sources?
0: Really it's part of being part of society today. As you talked about, we have so much tribalism and if you want to be able to interact with other people and talk to them, a great part of that is being empathetic and understanding where they're coming from. And if we have easy scapegoats with things like the media and as we pointed out that they sometimes are part of the problem. But being able to look at and differentiate between What's information that's actually useful to me versus what's information that is only telling you one side of the story?
1: Yeah, so if uh, we create a demand for better, more objective information, maybe we'll start to get it at some point on a mass scale. Amber, people want to be in touch with you. What's the best way to do it?
0: Uh, my Twitter handle is Amber Hinesley. That's uh, probably the easiest way to get in touch with me.
1: All right, appreciate the perspective. Thank sure. you for coming out today. Thank you, Mike. Just ahead, from the cotton fields of Mississippi during the Jim Crow era to being one of America's leading business and cultural thinkers, as well as one of my personal favorite authors, we're going to talk to Clifton Talbert just ahead. And right after that, fighting the horror of heroin addiction and opioid addiction with horror movies. How in the world does that work? It's all ahead right here on American Viewpoints. You know, the windshield just glass broke and, and screeching, and I saw, you know, a, a body come down from off the top of the, the van, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done? I just thought, what have I done? There's never, never a day that I, I wake up that I don't think about it. Learn more at itcanwait.com. A message from AT&T, Missouri. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed.
0: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.